All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Aaron Stack with Bitten for Real Guide Service. That's real as in R-E-E-L, as in fishing real. And he primarily guides out of southern Wisconsin. We're, when we're recording this, we're 19 days out from the southern Wisconsin muskie opener. It feels like it's been an eternity in some instances, but it also feels like it's been just yesterday since we were on the water. And I know there's bunches of people that probably listen that have been on the water, and I'm jealous of all of them. It sounds like there's been some good solid bites going yet to spring, and you know, Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin is just going to be another one to kick it off, and we're that much closer to have everybody out musky fishing again, which is going to be a very exciting time. Hopefully your 2023 musky season is your best one yet. Brad, it's been uh, quite a roller coaster this week for weather. I don't know. We don't always like talk about weather on this thing, but as of tonight, it's like snowing outside. And two days ago, it was like 85. It wasn't over you because you live in the frozen tundra. So it's always like 40 degrees colder than where it is in my world. But it was <laughs> unbelievable as far as weather for the last week. I got back home from South Carolina, had one day where I had to wear jeans, and then I was right back to shorts for a week. And last week, it was awesome. And I'm sure it got a bunch of snow melted up north, at least from what it sounds like. Unfortunately, it sounds like they also got a bunch more today. So, you know, we're, uh, but, but overall, you know, we're still progressing and we're still moving towards, uh, open water. So I'm, and I'm assuming that's the case in your world too. Well, I think, you know, you kind of hit it about us always talking about weather. I think that just shows our age. Yeah. It seems like, uh, the older we all get, the more we talk about weather, right? Yeah. Or we're just um, really bored. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's kind of comical, but, uh, yeah, you know, last week was insane. I mean, it felt like summer. I mean, we went from nine degrees to mid sixties here where I'm at. And I know the twin cities, I mean, they, they had some 80 some degree weather. So quite the change overnight. We are melting as, it, as we speak, but it's kind of been a slow process. We got snow on Saturday night, as well as Sunday morning. And it started melting again all over again. But we're going to be kind of in the mid-40s this week. And it's not going to whittle away at the ice as fast as I was kind of hoping. But that's the way the weatherman predicts it, I guess. So we'll deal with it however we deal with it. So I got to ask, how far off are you guys going to be from what we'll call, like, air quotes, normal ice out for you in your area? You know, honestly, Jeff, I don't think we're that far off track. I, I really don't. It's, it's kind of strange because if, if you would have took a drive with me Friday night, like I did, I went into Alexandria and had dinner, kind of hit a bunch of different lakes, seen some pike in the creeks already. So they're already doing their thing. And the lakes were like dark gray, almost black, right? They were melting up really fast and really hard. Now, if you took the drive again today, they look kind of white out there, um, it slowed the process, that's for sure. But honestly, all in all, I'd say we're we're pretty much normal on track. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I would say that that's probably where, I mean, I think in my area, we might even be a little earlier than normal, you know, just because we didn't have much for snow cover and we also didn't have much for ice all winter long. So, you know, I'd say we're, we're probably about in that general ballpark for, you know, for us, I'd say like up by... You know, like I said, I go up by Pelican Lake. It looks like the the ice is, you know, coming out quickly there. You know, it looks like a couple of days where you got a bunch of big wind because it looks like a lot of the shoreline's open, so it'd be not too far off there. And, you know, quite honestly, if the ice goes off there in the next two weeks, that's about as early it's been off lately because usually 
So, you know, we got, we talk about the Southern Wisconsin muskie opener, but we also have the, uh, you know, the, the Wisconsin fishing opener, game fish opener, which is also on the sixth. We just can't fish muskies up North, but I mean, the last handful of years, it's been like a, you know, like a race down to the end, whether or not you're actually going to be able to, you know, use open water gear for, you know, to start the season off. So I would imagine that won't be a problem. So, you know, hopefully we'll call this start normal and then we can maybe have, I don't know, it'd be cool if we had like a normal season for once. I talk about it on the podcast a lot. I don't even know what normal season is, but like a slow progression up and then a slow progression down instead of this, you know, cold, 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 shoot way up in late May because it gets to be 90 for a week and a half. And then, you know, next thing you go, you know, you're talking, you know, our, our water temperature is going to be over 80. And, and then, you know, in the fall, it just stays warm, warm, warm. And then like overnight, it turns to, you know, like 25 degrees. And then next thing you know, your season's over. So it'd be kind of cool if we had like this nice, you know, nice bell curve. I think that's what mathematicians or somebody that's smarter than me would, would call it. Right. Yeah, that's true, Jeff. I mean, we all want that, but you know, Mother Nature's uh, going to give us whatever they give us. So <laughs> it, it's crazy, and and every year is a little bit different. Fortunately, last year, you know, we really didn't deal with the hot water temps. Uh, it never really shut us down last year over here. Anyway, I don't think it did by you either, did it? Not really. I don't know if Northern Wisconsin did at all. I mean, Southern Wisconsin did, but they always do. But it wasn't for very long if they did. Right. So hopefully that's the case. I mean, I hate that when, when you end up with that really hot water and it pulls you off the lake and man, sometimes you kind of need a little break, but when it ends up being weeks, that's no fun. I mean, that, that takes away from all the pleasure that we get from spending time on the water with muskies. Right. Well, let's take a little break from our uh, weather conversation because we're old and bored and we're going to talk weather, but let's talk, let's take a break for a second and let's talk about gear. If you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventures, you're going to want to make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com where your source for many, many exclusive baits and colors. Um, we have a lot more coming. We just got a bunch. We have this uh, cool little Keys Outdoors custom color thing going. We've got five Keys colors. They're going to be featured in the, you know, the stuff that he's going to be filming this year. And so we just got the stuff from Musky Innovations. If you're looking for swimming dogs and shallow swimming dogs and mag swimming dogs and pro mag dogs, double dogs, ripping dogs, shallow invaders, dying dogs, although the shallow invaders and dying dogs aren't here yet, but they will be. You can find it all at teamrhinooutdoors.com. And I know that our friends at Musky Mayhem Tackle, they're also doing the same thing. You know, we're going to, we're going to basically, I, I sent Carrie some samples and of the uh, colors that we had when we had the samples done up on the bulldog stuff. And she matched them up with some really cool Musky Mayhem Tackle stuff. And Brad, it sounds like maybe what, week and a half or so. So maybe probably not next episode, but probably the episode after that, you'll be able to get some cool keys, custom colors in the Musky Mayhem products as well. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You should be able to see them, I would say, next Tuesday or Wednesday. I, and I know that takes you time to get them up and go on uh, on the website. But they are going to be on their way, that's for sure. So we'll be looking forward to that. And uh, if anybody wants any other musky man tackle, obviously you can buy them at Team Rhino Outdoors or any other fine retailer. But you can also come right to muskymayhemtackle.com for all your blade needs. And one thing that I haven't mentioned a lot, we've mentioned rods, you know, obviously we have St. Croix rods this year and we can get, you, you know, we can get shipped out some chaos rods too. We have a lot, you know, a good selection of those as well. 
But reels, we also have a good selection of reels this year. We, we've been working hard to try to get as much gear as we can. So if you're looking for, you know, gear, we have uh, reels, rods and reels. So, you know, don't just look at us for your bait selection. Look at us for your rods and reels. And, you know, if you're looking for tackle boxes, we have Lakewood tackle boxes. And shortly we'll have some just-in-case stuff up online as well. And, you know, if you're looking for, you know, if you're gearing up your stuff and you're looking for line, you know, check us out. We got some new stuff from... Um, from fins, we have uh, some new braid from fins, but as you know, as per usual, we always have the master braid stuff, and we also have grand slam braids. So, you know, don't just look at us for your your bait needs. Make sure you check us out for your for everything. I mean, we're trying to be your one stop tackle shop, and you know, we understand we have work to do, but we're still gonna push forward, and we're still working on getting everything we need to in the shop. But, you know, Brad, I'd say enough of your infomercial. Unless you have something else to add to this episode, we just uh, throw it over to Aaron and, and dial up our conversation there. Sounds like a plan. Let's get after it. All right. Our guest this week is Aaron Stack with Bitten for Real Guide Service, and Aaron primarily guides out of southern Wisconsin. Aaron, first time we've ever had you on the podcast. Well, first off, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come talk to us about muskies. And secondly, you know, we've never had you here, so let's talk a little bit about background. Give everybody an idea who they're talking to. Well, thanks a lot for inviting me. My name is Aaron Stack. I have uh, guided down here in southern Wisconsin since 2013, so this will be my 11th season. I can take up to three people. Um, I've only got a 19-foot ranger, so trying to squeeze four guys in there gets to be a little bit of a dangerous procedure if we're all trying to cast. My season runs from... May 6th, or I'm sorry, the first Saturday in May, all the way through ice up. Um, I am not afraid to go out when it's cold out in the fall. Um, I have not done a ton of walleye fishing. Uh, most of the guys that are into walleye fishing, like going up on to, you know, Green Bay and some of the Great Lakes. I do not have my Coast Guard captain's license, so I do not guide on the Great Lakes yet. That's, uh, that's definitely a work in progress. I would like to expand at some point, but that's not something that's really necessary to me at the moment what else would you like to know well you know let's talk a little bit about the guide service itself is this something you do as a full-time deal or are you a, a part-timer how's this work out it's been a bit of a blessing the last couple of years I've, I've grown to the point where it has become a second full-time job i think i ran around 75 trips last year on top of my full-time my full-time job i work for an electrical engineering company as well so i've been blessed with them being able to let me take days off as needed if it becomes a full-time job that'd be honestly something that i've dreamt about for many many years i just i enjoy netting fish for people i enjoy sharing the boat with people i've had the privilege of fishing with some really really amazing people guys that come back year after year i meet incredible people that turn into regular clients every every season I appreciate being a part of the fishing industry and I'm just trying to keep trying to stay humble about it because it it really can get, it can get a little overwhelming at times, but honestly, having, having a great, uh, a friend base and, uh, you know, people that take care of me, I try to do my best to take care of them. Guys like you, uh, Bill Schwartz, Brad Rue, you know, the guys at Smokies, mainly, uh, John Himes. And then, a handful of friends in my in my small circle you know let's talk about this of all the fish that you could be chasing out there why muskies 
because they're to me they're some of the most challenging fish to catch i used to do a fair amount of bass fishing would i want to guide full-time as a multi-species angler sure but the more time you spend targeting other species the more challenging it gets to try to keep patterning muskies as you're going because obviously you know uh, both you guys know that the, the bite pattern can change every day and there's a lot of different techniques you can use on the water on a daily basis to try to up your success rate that trying to follow these fish throughout the entire season gets to be pretty challenging and i think that's what drives me to do it because those days that you do get skunked you put those in your memory bank you try to do something different to try to keep that from happening you know and that'd be one thing you know you uh I know you fished a bunch on the PMTT, you know, you want to talk a little bit about that, you know, as far as, you know, I mean, there, there, you got to change the pattern up. Obviously you're in it for, you know, you're in it to win it. You're, you know, fishing against, uh, you know, we'll say 125 other anglers or other boats full of great anglers. You know, what have you learned from fishing tournaments? Most importantly, how to adapt, you know, how to adapt to different weather conditions, how to adapt to, uh, the fishing pressure itself that can actually have a major effect on how the fish are acting. There too, you know, I, I've I've had a awesome run with uh, my good buddy Bob. You know, he was he was my fishing partner for nine of those ten years that we fished the trail. Bob couldn't commit to it last year, so the girlfriend stepped up and she did it amazing last year. She helped me learn a lot of things on the water as far as uh, like patience goes. Uh, <laughs> she yeah, she was a she was a big help. She kept me grounded last year. It's amazing um, uh, how that works, right? Women can do that. Yeah, but it was just, it was really cool too, because she, I didn't expect her to, to really get into it the way she did. I mean, she was telling me where to go and telling me spots to try. She's like, okay, we need to go try over here. Cause it looks like what we just saw fish on over here. You know, she's looking at the map while we're, while we're moving and I'm sitting there staring at the graph. She kind of took it on. She became a, a, an amazing partner and then she catches fish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, well you're luckier than me you know from a fishing standpoint it's tournaments force you to adjust you know you're not out there whenever you want to be out there you're out there because you have to be and if things aren't going the way you want them to go or how they were going during pre-fishing time you need to be able to adjust so i mean for the championship for example there were a few spots on pewaukee that i was pretty confident in that were holding fish I used my clients like the last 10 days leading up to the tournament. I used them as guinea pigs, basically. You know, I was trying different things and we did find a, a good pattern that did hold through the first two days of the tournament. The third day of the tournament, I there wasn't a single fish caught on Pewaukee Lake on day three of the championship. So that's just saying something. Those fish were just off. Yeah, well, because the amazing um, thing about southern Wisconsin is even when the fishing is off, those fish are still, they still bite. I mean, it's amazing how much pressure they get and how many fish are still caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there are tons of fish caught. I mean, there were a lot of fish caught and lost in the first two days. I heard one boat say they lost four fish. Another boat said that they lost seven fish over the, to the course of the weekend. I'm like, you know, you're thinking to yourself, how the hell do you lose seven fish in a tournament? I mean, at least I each lost one. It, you know, it happens. It is amazing, like you said, that the sheer pressure in the area, you know, it's kind of like fishing Minnetonka in Minnesota. That lake sees so much boat pressure, but there's still a lot of muskies that get caught. So I don't know if it's just something that they're accustomed to 
I mean, from a bucktail bite, I've seen, I've seen a gradual, I'm not going to say the fish are turned off by bucktails, but they're not just eating double tens anymore. I would say the peak of the double 10 bite down here in Southern Wisconsin was probably 09, 2010, 2011, 2012. And you can still catch fish on double tens, but you know, a lot of the times now it's, it's heavier blades, something that you can work faster. I think there's, I think they're more keyed in on speed now than they are the size of the bait. Let's talk about this for a second. Cause is, is this a, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like a catch 22 self, self-fulfilling prophecy are as many people throwing them as they were back in the heyday. And people have just been like, ah, you know, I can catch fish on a, a, a double eight or a single eight or, you know, whatever, a showgirl, a trigger, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. throw them anymore. I'm going to just stick with those because it's easier for me to work it. it or have the fish been conditioned? Because it's one thing that, you know, we've talked about on this podcast multiple times, and I'm sure Brad will weigh in here. But Brad's convinced that it's just anglers aren't using them, and that's why they're not catching on them versus the fish been conditioned to them. I believe, I believe there is uh, two parts to that for sure. I think some of the fish are definitely getting conditioned to it. But you got to think that was 10 years ago. There's a lot of guys that are trying all the new the new stuff that's out, you know, the staggers, the triggers, that kind of thing. So I think they're just more attracted to the newer baits, like you said, than using the old stuff that worked just fine. I still catch fish on double tens every year, but yeah, you have a lot of guys that just don't want to throw them because they're comfortable throwing double eights or you know the eight nine combos, the seven nine combos. I think they're just they're getting lazy. But sure. there's definitely a time and a place for a double 10 and fish still eat them. But like you said, there's not as many people throwing them because they can get away with catching other fish on uh, smaller size blades. I don't think it's that an absolute necessity to throw a double 10 anymore. Personally, I like throwing bigger blades at night, but on heavily pressured water, if you can, if you can get a double 10 going fast over those weeds, it still works. I think one of the things that maybe a misconception conception is you know okay 2009 the fish kind of quit eating 10 blades the reason i think that it's because a lot of people quit throwing the bait is we're not fishing the same fish we were fishing in 2009 for the most part i mean we're talking 10 to 15 years ago and so Mm -hmm. if you're not fishing the same fish and that bait has been so incredible over the years i'm still catching fish on it and i i mean Miltona being my home water, it's probably had more tens thrown on it than anything, you know. And, and the amazing part is, is I'm still catching just as many fish a year on it. The caliber of fish, it, it weighs with uh, where the population is, how that population is sitting, you know, are the big fish there, are the small fish there. Ultimately, I, I think that, like I said, we're not fishing the same fish we were 10, 15 years ago. So, Mm-hmm. A staple bait, I mean, if you look at it, you look at a bulldog, you look at, you could say Medusa at this point. I mean, the Medusa's been out there how many years? You could go back to saying a Suic or a Bobby bait or any of those baits. They are staple baits, and they're always going to continue to catch fish. And I think as fishermen, we like to change and play different things, and then we, we catch a fish on a small bait, so all of a sudden we gotta we got to throw all small baits, right? We catch a, a fish on a big bait. Oh, we, we got to throw big bait. Or maybe it's wood, or maybe it's rubber, or maybe it's blades. That, I think, the mental setback, I think a lot of times anglers persuade themselves on their last catch. And it might be more than just that last catch. So 
definitely something to consider. I'll, I'll agree with that 100%. I think guys just get into a comfort zone. You know, you build confidence in a certain lure, and then all of a sudden that lure just stops working. Could it be the water? Could it be water temperature related? Could it be weather related? You know, like down here, can you get away with throwing bigger blades? You know, the nines and tens from opener all the way through close? Sure. But there's definitely a time and a place for smaller stuff over, you know, your, your mag eights, your double nines, your tens. I got a buddy who has several supermodels that he had custom made by you. They're shorter profile in the they're they're a smaller profile in the water but they still give off that huge stump and he catches fish on those things you know in june september october november hammernick kind of came out with that whole concept of making a shorter supermodel and actually team rhino actually has that as one of their customs so i know if you're looking for a shorter supermodel you can order one right from team rhino it's cool right because the regular size supermodel, that rear part of the skirt never really flared. Uh, you're asking a lot of those blades to actually pull that much vortex to to get that skirting to go. And so by shortening it, real simply, I mean, now that whole package is going to be actually flaring and moving as the blades are turning and creating that vortex behind them. So kind of a cool little concept for sure. Yeah, I thought I thought he was outside his mind when I first saw those things. And I'm like, no, it actually makes perfect sense. You know, especially if you're looking for um, like a match the hatch scenario. You know, if you got a bunch of six to ten inch fish or bait fish swimming around, you know, shortening up your your bucktail. I mean, what, double tens or what, 13 inches long or something like that? The double cowgirl is about 10, 10 and a half. So. Okay. So the, the supermodels were uh, 13 inches. Yep. Okay. So shortening it up to match the hatch could, you know, that that obviously has an effect on something. Uh, Pewaukee Lake, for example, has always been known as a small bait lake, especially for uh, for trolling purposes. Now with the immense population of twelve to seventeen inch walleyes we have in the lake, you know, I, I I saw those bigger blades working really well last fall for me personally. And then you got your mag dogs and your, your regular husky medusas, pounders too. There were a few guys that weren't afraid to go out there and throw pounders. Now, the majority of my clients don't want to throw pounders. They just don't have it in them. That can be a really good workout, that's for sure. Not everybody's built for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we were actually just talking about that the other day, going out to St. Clair. She's like, why can't you just take like four or five different colors, maybe two of each instead of you know, eight of one color and then six of another color. I'm like, well, you got to realize that even a 34 inch fish can rip off, you know, the back half of a bulldog and then it's useless, at least until you can get it fixed. But yeah, not everybody's cut out for throwing big rubber all day. And I'm sure my time's coming where I'm going to have to slow down on that too. You know, I'm either going to tear a bicep or I'm just going to get sick of it. Not everybody can work a bulldog the way Spencer does. Or some of the other big name casters out there, you know, Quintano, and there are special breed of people out there. But those fish also, I, I was out there last year and I caught one and lost one on double tens, middle of the summer for the Bondi Slam. Uh, we were just, we got on a weed bite and we couldn't get anything to go on rubber. So we all started throwing blades. And I was, I was burning a trolling girl as fast as I possibly could. And that's how I was getting my bites. Trolling girls, I think, are underutilized casting baits also. I've been seeing a ton of people, 
spending a ton of time throwing the trolling bait. And there's something definitely special to that. I mean, I can honestly tell you, you know, the, the original cowgirl was made for trolling, right? So the cool concept about that was the weight that, uh, that that bait actually presented itself with because of being made for trolling. And I think that, um, at the end of the day, getting your bait down deeper, a lot of times is a big key. I mean, if those fish, a lot, a lot of times the bigger fish are going to be down a little bit lower in the water column and a heavier bait is going to present that bait in their face. So there's something to that. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've always loved slow rolling cowgirls because you're getting that bait deeper in the water column. 100%. Especially if you're fishing some of those deeper weeds, you know, where a a normal cowgirl is going to ride pretty high in the water, you know, you can actually bomb cast a trolling girl, count it down, and then rip that sucker right through the top of the weeds. And it'll stay there, at least until the last 30-year cast. And that's usually when you get bit. I mean, once in a while, you'll have one slurp it out while you're creeping it along. But I think the last fish I caught a Minnetonka, for example, we were fishing a real deep weed edge. And I was just working that trolling girl right down the, the deeper weed edge. And as soon as we got it out of 10, 12 foot of water, you know, I'm just letting it get down, letting it get down. And then I just give it that quick burst of speed. And that's when the fish hit. I do think some Minnesota fish, uh, some of the lakes in Minnesota, those fish just act completely different than Wisconsin fish. And I, I haven't, I have, my experience is fairly limited. I only get to fish in Minnesota maybe once or twice a year. So I don't know, I don't know a lot of the, the tricks, the ins and outs of it. I've never fished with any fellow guides in, in Minnesota except for uh, on Lake Vermilion back in 2017 or 18. Um, I was hoping to get out with AJ this year, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But there's 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 so much to learn in Minnesota water. That's why I envy you guys. You guys have endless lakes that hold big fish. I'm not going to say we're limited down here, but there's really only a handful of lakes down here, you know, within an hour and a half, um, aside from Green Bay, that I feel like you got a really good shot at catching a 50-inch fish. I think there's more people nowadays that are kind of starting to shy away from catching the numbers of fish and that are actually trying to target these bigger fish. Well, I, you could, uh, you can be jealous in Minnesota, but honestly, I mean, if you think about it, the, it's a multiple choice when it comes to Wisconsin, right? I mean, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. you guys have so many great bodies of water and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it's a whole different world. You have a ton of support through your DNR and through uh, different clubs and things like that. It's the state fish. I think Wisconsin is truly blessed to have what they have. I mean, every single corner, nook and cranny, there's a musky lake. And that's the one thing in Minnesota, you know, you might have to drive a half hour, hour to get to body to body. But there's no no question Minnesota has been uh, on the forefront, I guess, of, of big fish. I'm hoping that continues, obviously, and, and our resource is pretty special for sure. But there's so many other new states out there, too, that, you know, Michigan has kind of followed the Minnesota program. That's going to be one that's going to be popping up, in my opinion. And I'm talking inland, not uh, on St. Clair. St. Clair is special in itself. There's so many different positive uh, things to look at when you start talking musky water. But uh, mm-hmm. I am blessed to be living here in Minnesota, and it's been a, a wild, wild ride for the last 20-some years, that's for sure. 
Yeah, you get a lot of people that'll ask you, you know, were you able to fish, you know, Vermilion or Malax, you know, during the quote unquote heydays in the two thousands or early early twenty teens. No, I missed it. I completely missed it. Yeah, it's kind of funny to listen to some different people, you know. I've heard people say, Well, I live here and I was fishing muskies, but I didn't go to Malax. What was I thinking? you know? But mm-hmm. in the same token, Malax was crazy. It was combat fishing. You know, you could be talking to four different boats at one time as you're swinging a cap. You guys seeing anything? You guys doing any good? Oh, I got one over here. Blah, 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 blah. And people were running their boats. Some guys were in three feet of water. The next guy was in six foot of water. And the next guy was in 12 foot of water. As you're intersecting one another, you're actually communicating and talking about where the fish are, what the fish are doing. And like I said, it was combat fishing. And I've heard that it gets that way a little bit on Green Bay as well. I know on the opener, it always does. But even on the weed beds out on the main part of the lake, I I know Mm -hmm. that it's kind of merry-go-round fishing, right? It is. It absolutely can be. That's a struggle. You know, you talk about tournament fishing earlier in this podcast, and, and a lot of times tournaments can kind of play that way as well. I wish... Malax and Vermilion were still as positive as they were, say, 15 years ago. I mean, it it definitely took pressure off all the other bodies of water throughout the state. Yeah, and the numbers of lakes that you have, you know, between the Alexandria area all the way up to, uh, you know, Bemidji and then back to the northeast towards, towards Vermilion, like every lake up there has the right makeup to produce a giant. I think a lot of it is how fertile our lakes are, and we we have great bait populations of both perch and ciscos, and it, it definitely makes a big difference, that's for sure. I mean, Pewaukee typically, you know, the, I'm not just going to leave it on Pewaukee. Our, our Waukesha lakes all the way over to Madison, um, they kick out several 50 inches a year, but... You know, we, we've been able to see over the last, I'd say, six or seven years, especially um, due to the the stocking efforts of, you know, clubs like the Muskie Club of Wisconsin, our Pewaukee Lake Special went from like 34, 35 inches, which I would say is now 37, 38 inches. And they're just they're built differently. And I, I guess it's mean, I'm going to say it's mainly because of the fact that we're not putting as many fish in. We're still putting quite a few in, but I think they're just giving those fish uh, a better chance to survive because there's less competition. And there's also the guys from uh, the walleye clubs that were stocking just millions of fry every year. But I think the problem with those fish is there's so many of them that they're just, they're stunted. I don't think those walleyes are getting an opportunity to uh, reach maturity. Uh, One, because the minute they hit that 18 inch mark and somebody catches them, they're not going to get released. And two, there's just so many of them that these muskies can go out there during the summer now and spend all their time in 30 to 40 foot of water gorging on walleyes and never have to look at a bait. Fishing has gotten a little more challenging. If you're not fishing the weeds, fishing's gotten a lot more challenging the last couple of years. And two reasons is because of those walleyes and the uh, amount of boat traffic. You know, your wake surfers, your uh, your skiers, uh, you know, Pewaukee is one of the densest 
uh, pleasure boat populations in the southern part of the state. I think second only to Geneva, but that's only because you got, you know, the Illinois border, which is six minutes away. And Geneva is another one. I think if guys would stop publicizing it so much on social media, Geneva's got perfectly good capability of getting to that level of lakes such as, you know, Cass and Bemidji, you know, lakes that could at some point spit out a, a really, really big fish. It's got the right chemistry for it. But I think it's just going to get too much pressure to the point where those fish are just going to get, they're going to get smart. Well, that's the beauty of muskie fishing, you know, in a lot of different states is the anglers got to get smarter to be able to catch some of these fish, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that us as anglers need to be creative and, and keep working on our game to mm-hmm. basically, you know, keep catching. Absolutely. You know, catch and release has been a, a positive, it's had a positive influence on on the muskie fishing itself in the last 30 years, for sure. You know, you don't hear too many guys blocking them on the head anymore. But even still, with that being said, you know, guys, any any given time, these fish, there is some sort of mortality rate that I don't think they can actually put a, a real number on, but I've heard it's right around 20% of all the fish that we catch don't make it even if they do swim away you know it goes back to you talking about the musky clubs it makes those you know those things that much more important you know we had a we talked to travis i believe it was travis frank right right brad that's who is that's the guest that we had on a couple weeks ago we talked a lot about mus, um stocking in minnesota and you know same kind of deal it, it's those things that that's why you know stocking fish and, and doing what we do now it's so important yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You're exactly right. And yes, it was Travis Frank. And it, it's cool, you know, they've got the public involved here in Minnesota. And that's definitely what he was talking about on being on that committee and actually giving some input back to the DNR. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, I think the, the greatest thing that's ever happened is, is as musky anglers, we've all united. And that happened many, many years ago you know, not killing these fish and trying to pamper them and make sure that they're good. And, and it definitely has changed the fisheries throughout the whole country, honestly. Absolutely. You know, so Aaron, we're 19 days away from the Southern opener. If for anybody that cares, we're recording this on a cold Monday night. It doesn't feel, it, it felt like midsummer last week, even up until <laughs> Saturday. It doesn't feel anything like the opener is going to be coming. It feels more like November. But anyways, let's talk a little bit about that. Have you been on the water in, you know, southern Wisconsin to kind of check things out? You know, where are we looking at for the opener? Do you have any idea? The way things are shaping up right now, I think these fish are going to be either pre-spawn or into the spawn uh, just because of water temps. The last I saw, we've had uh, 51, 52 degree water temps consistently, but I think this, this little cold snap uh, it's not supposed to get above, I think we're supposed to have one warm day this week and then it's going to be back down in the forties and fifties. So I think, honestly, I think the crappie bite's going to be just as good for the opener as the musky bite was last year. I'm hoping, I'm hoping we see t- water temperatures in the upper fifties come, you know, come opener. I just, uh, I don't want to see temps in the upper forties like we had opening day last year. Uh, it seemed like the spawn just lasted for a solid four weeks last year, you know, not all the fish spawn at one time, you know, they come in in waves. Um, we were seeing clean fish all the way up until the third week of May. And we were also also seeing fish that were beat to snot opening weekend. 
um, you know, your smaller males and stuff. I think we're going to catch a lot of those smaller males. If the water temps are in that 55 to 57 degree range, I think we're going to see more of those, more of the males to start with like normal, but I'm hoping we don't, uh, I'm hoping this cold snap doesn't last too long. I would like to see the water temperatures come up a little bit more. It does make for a really fun bite when they're pre-spawn, but um, I think with the spawning process, even on your on your lakes that are, for all intents and purposes, a put-and-take fishery, you know, your stocked lakes, I think the act of catching these fish while they're spawning just adds a, a level of stress. You know, the fish are only eating for a short amount of time during the day. It's going to be like going out in the fall. You know, you're going to have really short windows, and uh, fishing is going to be good during certain times if you can be out there on the water at those times but then you're going to have you're going to have days where you're going to struggle to put a fish in the boat you know for anglers looking to hit it on the water you know what should they be looking for are they looking for shallow weeds is that the ticket and if so you know what are they looking for as far as baits to use the last couple of seasons we've been throwing a pretty vast range of baits anywhere from you know those small bass bass style uh, square lip crankbaits the uh, regular swimming dogs, those have been really good the last several years. People kind of get on a small a small bait kick the first part of the season. And honestly, I think you're going to have more action on those smaller baits. But those bigger, those bigger fish aren't always keyed in on a small bait. Opening day last year, at least when I had a, a 46, 47-incher, came swimming right underneath the boat with a 10, 11-inch perch T-boned. Just swimming nice and slow in five foot of water. What to look for as far as uh, spots to hit? Those fresh, bright green cabbage weeds that we got. Uh, the cabbage in Pewaukee Lake is on a, a major comeback. Uh, there were several years where we were struggling to find good green cabbage weeds because everything was overrun by you know with milfoil. And uh, I'd say by the end of May, you know it was it was tough to find that cabbage weed. But when you found it. You know, we would focus more on that transition where you had the cabbage that wasn't overgrown. You know, you'd have like a, a mixture of the cabbage weed where the milfoil starts, uh, the milfoil, the pond weed. Anywhere you can find those uh, clumps of vegetation that aren't overgrown, I think the, the fish are using those as their, their main areas of where they want to hunt. I don't think they're just utilizing the cabbage. I don't think they're just utilizing the milfoil. I think they're using those areas to hunt wherever there's the most oxygen given off. And then when, when you have your, uh, your bluegills and your perch hanging out in the weeds or even your shiners, you know, if you go to lakes like Okachi Lake, there's eight, nine inch golden shiners in that lake. I think those fish are keying in on those areas that are holding the most bait fish. It's usually, as I said before, it's usually those areas where you have a little bit of a, a melting pot of vegetation. You don't just have your cabbage and pondweed and milfoil, but you don't also want to stay in the milfoil because that stuff gets overgrown so fast that it's tough to work a bait through. There's a lot of fish that will hold in transition areas just on the outside of rocks and gravel and sand, and they'll use some of those warm, the warmer parts of the day to move up onto the sand, and they'll hunt there too. If you can find transition areas like that, those are some of your more productive areas, especially if you get a bright sunny day when the water's still cold and, uh, in the springtime. 
uh, I know we've had fish um, that we've marked just on side imaging. You know, we'll be running along the uh, the inside weed edge before everything gets you know grown up. You'll have maybe thirty or forty yards of just clean sand and gravel, and the fish are just up there cruising. If you can mark those fish on side imaging, spin the boat back around and go fish them, or mark that spot and fish it later. Because I think there is a time when the water's still cold that the fish need that warmer water to uh, kind of bolster their metabolism. I think it's just got to get them going because they can't just sit there and not eat for days. Although it does seem like they do that at times. You know, Aaron, one thing you mentioned is you talked about smaller baits, potentially even as small as like bass style stuff. Are you downsizing on your gear? Are you, you know, are you using 65 pound test? What are you using for gear? One of my favorite springtime rods, I, I run a seven foot 11. It's like a heavy, it's almost like a heavy flipping stick for bass fishing. And I've run, uh, the first, the first year I was throwing 40 pound, 40 pound braid with it, uh, with some of the thinner, the thinner diameter, uh, lines that are out now, I think you can get away with 50 or 65 pound. I have 50 pound on it now with a light. I use a light wire leader, stranded wire but it's only like a 40 pound rated leader. So, you, you know, your the action of the lure isn't really affected all that much. You know, you can get away with it, especially if you're using small hooks, you know, something that you can straighten out, you know, your drags locked down, but those small, those smaller 100 or 200 size bass reels. I mean, they only have like 12 or what, 14 pounds of drag. So I think it's more of just a sweeping hook set than those monster sucker hook sets that you see guys doing in the fall. Those smaller hooks, you have less penetrating area that you have to worry about. So if you set the hook on a on a fish and you're only using a, you know, say a three inch crankbait or a, a four or five inch uh, suspending jerkbait, you know, all you got to do is just keep the line tight and let that fish run whenever it wants to. And usually you keep the hooks in them. I think the guys that lose the fish more on lighter gear are the ones that are just trying to horse them. I mean, if you think about it, the only reason that we're using the heavy, you know, 80, 100 pound braided line is just because the the lures that we throw put so much stress on our tackle. Otherwise, from a line, a weight rating standpoint, it's it's total overkill. But you're not going to go out with 30 pound mono and try to throw a pounder around all day because you're going to end up losing, you know, 30, $32 lures. But I would say whatever line that you can get away with, uh, you know, from a weight rating, 30 pound, 40 pound, 50 pound, the heavier you go with those smaller baits, obviously the more it's going to kill the action of the lure. Another rod I like throwing is a seven foot, uh, medium heavens, uh, medium heavy spinning rod. You know, sometimes with spinning rods with a 2,500 or a 3000 reel on it is it's the best way to go. You can run 30 pound braid and it's like you're tossing what eight pound mono. So you can have a lot of line on there, but some guys can work a jerkbait really, really well with a spinning rod. I mean, in the springtime, that's some of my favorite stuff to use. But, you know, if you start getting back up to your six and seven inch slammers, whether you're using the drop belly glider or the six or seven inch phantoms, even the four inch phantoms, that stuff is it's tough to work on hundred pound line. So you almost have to size down to get the full effect of the bait. Sizing down is definitely it's definitely the way to go from an action standpoint in the springtime but I, I think you can entice bigger fish to eat throwing a little bit larger lures larger than you would think in the springtime but on heavily pressured water too 
you know, sizing down is another tactic, even throughout the summer during cold fronts. But, uh, you know, in the spring, your four to seven inch or seven and a half inch phantoms, uh, those six inch slammer minnows are phenomenal for casting his new uh, six inch fat, his fat belly six incher, I think it's called, or his fat wide body. I forgot the name of it, but yep, six inch fatty. Yep. Yeah. The six inch fatty. Uh, that's for those, those deeper cabbage weeds that you can find out in like four to eight foot of water. That bait is incredible because that thing gets down a lot deeper than that. The six incher with the round lip. And that six incher is also amazing for shoreline trolling. You know, that was the other thing I was going to ask you is, you know, you hear about this out East, you get that short line, shallow water trolling. Is that something you ever do down South? hundred percent. If you get guys that are sick of, uh, slinging baits around, or if, you know, or if it's a nice weekend and uh, the boat traffic is getting a little, a little questionable for, for guys that are casting. If you can get away with running baits away from, away from the boat behind boards, if the floating weeds aren't too bad, that shoreline game is, uh, it's pretty cool because you can literally just unhook the lure from the hook keeper on the rod. And that's all the line that you need out, whether it's behind a board or in a, in a rod holder right off the end of the boat. And uh, with the floating weed situation that we have down here, I would say 80% of the time throughout the course of the year, we're only really able to run four rods and or six, but the tip's got to be buried in the water. Yeah, I know that's a major problem down there is the weed situation. Uh, I would imagine early season is probably not that bad. So on this, some of the short line stuff, do you ever actually look back and have a bait where you can see it and see it get smoked by a fish or not? Y- yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's actually kind of amusing because there's, there's times too where if, if the, uh, the weeds aren't that bad, I'll actually have a client hanging onto one of the rods towards the front of the boat and he can watch his bait running. You know, if he's sitting right next to me while I'm driving, he can actually just stand up and have his rod tip right at the, you know, he's, he's dodging whatever weed clumps that we're, we're driving through and you'll see fish come up and engage the bait for sure. Um, if we're running spinner baits or bucktails behind the boat, you know, most of the time they're only 10 feet back. You can see them running right over the tops of the weeds. And, uh, I think with the boat going through the weeds, it's, it's kind of something that the fish are accustomed to. So it's no different than a ski boat plowing through a weed bed, stirring up all the bait fish. And while the bait fish are scattering, that's the muskie's perfect opportunity to ambush. So short line trolling is actually a very effective tool to use. So Aaron, you know, time flies when you're having fun, but before we let you get out of here, I want to ask you one more question. What do you suppose the biggest mistake is that anglers make when they're fishing muskies for the early season opener? Ooh, um, that's, that's a really good question. You warned me about that question. I've been thinking about it a lot today. Brad, do you have something to chime in on for that question? Well, I'm thinking of a good answer for this. Yeah, I would definitely say the biggest thing, in my opinion, is the lack of confidence at times. And, you know, everybody's going to struggle, right? It's the opener. That's what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you go into it confident, you're going to fish way better than you will if you're not confident. I mean, it's just, it's the way musky fishing is. If you go into it thinking, I'm going to catch, and, and believe me, I'm like probably one of the stupidest musky anglers on the planet because I truly believe that I'm going to catch every cast I make. That's how my brain works. But 
I fish more effectively when I'm confident and I'm going at it with the belief that I'm going to catch. But it definitely seems to make it make it uh, make it happen at the end of the day. The other thing is, is don't forget. I mean, it's first day for everybody, right? So it isn't like uh, somebody's just going to be out there. Sure, everybody gets lucky, but let, let's think about this and let's consider the fact that everybody's out there the first day. We're all equal. Nobody knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, you can rely on memories. I don't like to fish memories, and the reason I don't is because you can get burnt a lot of times. But you relying on some of the stuff that you've learned in the past definitely will help you. But it's not the answer to all. So you definitely have to be creative. You have to think about what it is that you want to do. If you've made the decision to start out by trolling, trolling bite isn't happening. You're not seeing the bait. You're not marking any fish. Guess what? Switch it up. Get out there and start casting. If you started casting, maybe one of the things that I I could maybe say too on an opening weekend, you know, that first day, a lot of times I'm not even going to throw a cast right away. I'm going to start looking for some of those green, fresh weeds that you were talking about. And after you had this last year, even the year before, we've had tons of snow cover on top of the ice. And without light penetration, a lot of those weed beds will be just totally dead. But as soon as that ice breaks, that sun's getting in there, and some of those early weed beds are going to be really key, like you had mentioned earlier. So Mm -hmm. do some of that searching. Maybe you do it before the season even. But if you just got on the water for opening day, definitely spend some time looking for those nice green weed beds that are just starting to pop up. Because the bait fish are going to be there, the oxygen levels are going to be there, and the and the muskies will be shortly behind. Absolutely, I would say a huge mistake that a lot of people make, um, especially on on smaller bodies of water, they're running and gunning. Their baits aren't in the water as long as they need to be. You gotta you gotta slow down and pick an area apart, especially if it's an area where you're confident there's fish holding. You know, it, it, with the water being cooler the fish aren't going to be quite as active as they would be say when the water's 68 slow down pick the area apart fish through it multiple times and then move on and then come back later you know especially if you're if you get a follow or two you just got to figure out what the heck they're going to eat sometimes slowing your you know how you're running the boat you might not necessarily need to slow down whatever lure you're throwing but pick the area apart I would say that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make. You know, they're running their boat on Mach 2 all day and, you know, you'll make a cast and then instead of making another cast four or five feet over from your last cast, you're already, you know, 30 yards ahead of where you should be. You're missing fish that way. Slow the boat down, make multiple casts through an area. That's, that's probably the one thing that I see a lot. And I don't know if it's just because of how pressured the lakes can get. You know, if you have, like you said, there's everybody and their brother is out. It's not a race. You can still slow the boat down. Let people go around you. There's fish there. Anybody that wants to fish fast, by all means, go ahead. I'm going to run the boat a little bit slower. I think it's just going to, you're going to contact more fish that way. Um, It's not like you have, you know, like on the lax, for example, there's vast sand flats or huge huge weed beds in the spring where you know you can you can buzz through it pretty quick and zigzag or do figure eights through it however you work your boat these smaller bodies of water 
find the spot on the spot. That spot could have two or three fish on it. I definitely think that making the whatever lake you're on, whether it's big or small, fish it smaller, right? So pick it apart, you know, pick out one bay or pick out a fragment of the lake and work that area and, and start putting pieces of the puzzle together. Because that's really ultimately what muskie fishing is truly about. It's a big, giant puzzle. And as you add pieces to that puzzle, you can start breaking down a bunch of different things and then expand your horizons and, and start searching the rest of that lake as well. Absolutely. All right, Aaron. Well, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk muskies with us. For people that want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Uh, I would say a phone call or text message at 262-510-7624. Another good way to get a hold of me is at uh, facebook.com backslash bitten for real. I do have a guide page up on Facebook that's been active since 2013. You can shoot me a message there as well. I, I run various various trips i do five hour nine hour 12 hour and dark to dark trips throughout the season and then i also run sucker f- uh, live bait fishing in the fall so you have uh there's we, we've got a lot of options so i try to cater to anybody that's willing to come out and fish so aaron i want to thank you again for you know talking muskies with us we want to uh you know wish you the best of luck this season hopefully you have a a great start to your season i'm sure we'll be in touch at one point And we want to thank our listeners again for putting up with us for another episode. And we'll catch everybody again with a new one next Wednesday. Uh, Same to you, boys. I, you know, I wish you the best and I appreciate you guys having me on.